So we're going to continue from where we left off last week. Are there any first-time visitors here today? Ah, welcome. This special round of applause just for you. <laughs> Wonderful having you with us. So if you haven't been with us, we're going through a series, Sermon on the Mount. And uh, last week, Matt Cookamore preached on this passage that has given me half the passage to preach on. And... Um, so he, he preached on love, and we're going to continue in that section in Matthew chapter 5. So Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43, just a few verses. He preached on loving your enemies, full stop, and I'm going to carry on from there. Pray for those who persecute you. Not prosecute you, persecute you. But verse 43, we've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? I think it was Nicky Gumbel that uh, talked about a certain man by the name of Melsop. Reverend Melsop was, I don't know how he landed up in this German Nazi prison of camp, but he spent his time there witnessing to the in, uh, the uh, prisoners and trying to witness to the guards as well. And there was one man in particular that, that he was trying to witness to who was an atheist, but he wanted nothing to do with God. And this atheist did something wrong to incur the wrath of the authorities in that prison, in that concentration camp, by way of a firing squad. And so Melsop, Reverend Melsop, argued with the guards that he would like to take his place, this man's place. And they said, why would you want to do such a thing? He said, because I know my God. Jesus is my Savior. The moment I die, I will, I will be with him in eternity. But this man, he won't. He doesn't know God. He doesn't know where he's going. And so they allowed him to do that. And the firing squad was set up, and Melsop was heard to be praying for the guards and praying for the um, man that he substituted for. Some years later, after the war, this atheist was walking past the church and he was attracted to go in and he heard the gospel for the first time. He heard that a man died in his stead, in his place. And he was overwhelmed because he realized that two men had died for him. One had died to give him physical life and the other man had died, Jesus had died to give him spiritual life. And he committed his life to Christ that day. His life was tr changed and transformed. He spent the rest of his days speaking to as many people as possible about the happenings that he went through, that two men died in his place, and especially the second man for having rescued him, taken his sin upon him. We read in this passage that Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies. 
Who are our enemies? Our enemies are not those we don't like or don't get on with or don't see eye to eye with. And neither are they those who we rub up the wrong way and then they they pounce on us. (laughs) We've had many of those situations where Christians say, are they ganging up on me and and, and so on and so forth, but they've brought it on themselves. But our enemies are those who cause us to suffer, who oppose us, who slander and criticize us, those who want to get us into trouble and often vindictive, they are sarcastic, and sometimes are very, very brutal and cruel. These are the people that Jesus is talking about. All right? And he says in verse 44, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for them. Pray for them. Why? Why are we to pray for those who persecute us? Firstly, it's an evidence that we are different from the world. We're different from everyone else out there. It's an indication of that. Non-Christ followers don't want to pray for those who persecute them. They, they want them, you know, to have it. They, they want to give it to them. They want them to suffer. It's just a part of their sinful human nature, is it not? Praying for our enemies is probably one of the hardest things that we can do. It just doesn't come naturally to to, to us as human beings. It goes against the grain. Why would I want to pray for someone who has hurt me so badly? Surely he should be punished, God. Isn't that what the psalmist said in Psalm 58? Lord, break their teeth. Psalm 10, Lord, break their bones. Sounds like cage fighting to me. And some of the macho guys are saying, yeah, now no, we're talking. No, 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 no. So how, how, how do we reconcile this to Jesus' teaching? I mean, the two are far apart. John Stott is very helpful when he says, and he maintains that the psalmist doesn't speak out of a personal animosity, but as a representative of God's chosen people. They are regarded as the wicked. They regard the wicked as the enemies of, of God, as a nation, that is. The other nations are enemies of God. It's like praying for God to deal with a, a wicked Robert Mugabe who has destroyed his country and has harmed millions and millions of, of people. So it's an evidence that we're different from the world. It's an evidence, secondly, that we are the children of God, is it not? D.A. Carson says, to love them and pray for them is an important part of being a son of our Heavenly Father. If we are His sons, we will have His character. The apple falls not far from the tree. You know, ah, he looks so much, and he sounds so much, and he's so much like his father. Heaven help you if your father's cruel and bitter and twisted. Then, then I wouldn't like to be called a son of my father. Michael Eaton writes, A special test of whether we love our enemies is whether we pray for them. It's easy to say, I love my enemies, but do we actually pray for them is what he's saying. Jesus asks us to pray for the worst enemies as if they are our best friends. Wow, that's stretching it. You see, it's a supernatural thing that, that Jesus is talking about here. We can't do it in our own strength. We aren't able to do it. Non-believers never even consider praying for their enemies because they only consider praying for themselves. 
Lord, give me this, give me that, do this, do that, heal me. Especially when they're in trouble, help! You know, suddenly there is a God. It's impossible for them. They're not born again. They don't know a heavenly father. They, they don't know Jesus as their savior and their friend. And so it's an indication that we're born again. It's impossible for them, but it is possible for us. And because it's possible for us, Jesus commands us to do it. It's not a suggestion. It's not him saying, if you feel it, feel like it, or if you feel up to it, or if you'd like to do it, I quite understand if you don't handle that case, it's pretty hard. No, <laughs> it's a command. And that makes it difficult. But it also makes it easy because then we come to God and say, no, I can't do this. Please help me. Please help me. I don't understand Christians who cut themselves off from other people, and especially other Christians. They sometimes walk on the other street. When they see someone come on the other street, or they don't sit in the same church or in the same service, um, or they sit on opposite sides of the church and duck out so that they don't have to face that, that person that's hurt them. Someone said, you know, is this person still in your church? In what service do they come to? Okay, I'll come to another service. When we cut ourselves off from people and we cut ties, we're indicating that we're not born again. Are you with me? When we cut ourselves off from family members, it's, it's, it's not on. We have a family member that's cut themselves off from us and from the, the rest of our family. And 10 years later, a, a confessing Christian. And what you're actually saying when you cut yourself from, off from somebody is you're saying that you do not exist any longer as far as I'm concerned. That's, that's, that's severe. It's tantamount to murder. In the, in the African culture, and maybe you can bear me out in, in KwaZulu-Natal, I don't know about down, down here, is that you greet one another in the street. And if you don't greet me, then you're saying, I don't exist. And cutting ourselves off means the same thing. I believe that you don't exist as far as I'm concerned. Taking away my number, my all my details, you can't get hold of me. And we pray for this member regularly. Causes us to pray. Artie Kendall's is spot on when he says, enemies not only keep you on your toes, they also make you pray. And you know, when you pray for your, for your enemies, when you pray for those who persecute you, you draw closer to them, don't you? I found that. That those who have given me a rough time in the past, the more I pray for them, the more I have a love for them. The more God gives me a compassion for them. Because we're all sinners, we all make mistakes. No one is perfect on the face of this earth. Thirdly, we evidence when we pray for them, we evidence our understanding of the gospel and our appreciation for our salvation. In uh, Matthew chapter 18 and verses 21 to 35, it talks about the parable of the unmerciful servant. And the unmerciful servant in this parable was a man who owed his master a lot. It's like millions. And uh, his master was going to sell him into slavery and sell off his, his goods. His whole family was going to be sold off into slavery. And he begged him and pleaded with him, please, Lord, my master, don't do that. And in the end, the master let him off, pardoned him, 
And he went, no sooner had he done that, that he went onto the streets and saw a guy that owed, owed him peanuts, a few dollars in comparison. And this man begged him and said, no, 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 please, I can't pay you right now, but I, 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 just give me time, give me time, give me time. And he said, no ways. And he, he threw him into jail. How tragic. How terrible is that? He'd been, he'd been released from this huge debt and yet wasn't prepared to, to let this guy off a few rands. He hadn't begun to understand the mercy and the goodness and the kindness of that master. He hadn't begun to understand the hugeness of his debt that he was let off. And folks, that applies to us. We're unmerciful. We're like that unmerciful servant when we don't release those who've hurt us in some way. It is a small thing in comparison to all that God has forgiven us from. Would you agree with me? Past, present, and future. Past, present, and future. In eternity, when we look back at that time, and we look back and we say, wow, that was just a little blip. Well, what do I make such a, a mountain out of a molehill for? It'll seem crazy, stupid, useless, defenseless. Do we understand our salvation? Do we fully understand who we are in Christ? Because if we do, then we will be easily forgiving of, of others. Another reason why we should pray is that they might get saved. In the book of Acts chapter 7, it talks about Stephen preaching to his compatriots, to the Israelites. And he went right through the scriptures telling them that this Jesus has actually come. And he pointed out and pointed out. And, and, and when it came to the crunch, when he had to say, well, you're the guys that actually crucified him. They were incensed. They went ballistic. And they took up stones and they stoned him to death. And uh, Saul was there, later became Paul, took their garments, was holding their garments and obviously egging them on and saying, yeah, this guy deserves death by stoning. And uh, just before he died, he said these words in Acts chapter 7 and verse 60, cry out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Don't hold the sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Saul was obviously deeply convicted about that, and obviously God used that uh, to speak to Saul by the time he, of his conversion. He was the man who, who expounded the whole scriptures, and it was obvious that this Jesus was the Messiah, and he was prepared to, to go to his death because of what he believed, because of his relationship with God. And he didn't hold it against these brothers who stoned him. He said, Lord, Lord, forgive them. Forgive them. Must have had a huge impact upon Saul at the time. But it was the prayer of this man Stephen that he was probably grateful for because it brought him to salvation. It was his testimony, it was his prayer that brought him to salvation. Jesus was on the road to Jerusalem, you remember, and he was riding on a donkey and he was hoping that Israel would respond to him as the Messiah. And they threw down palm branches and, and their, their garments and, and, and they shouted Hosanna to our king. And, and then when he explained to them, no, no, no th th this, 
This gospel is out of this world. It's a spiritual gospel. It's, you know, I'm not going to overthrow the Romans. I'm not going to give you material wealth and riches. I'm giving you spiritual wealth. I'm your spiritual king. They said, crucify him. Crucify him. But don't you want Barabbas? No, no, no. Crucify him. But he's your king. Crucify him. And on that cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was praying for their salvation. He was praying for their forgiveness. And is this not why, or partly why, 3,000 people came to salvation on the day of Pentecost? Father, forgive them. We need to be praying for those who rub us up the wrong way and who jump on us. They might not come to Christ at all. They might not come immediately. But we need to pray for their salvation. I've heard so many stories of people who prayed for those who are persecuting them, coming to know Christ as Savior. And wonderful, wonderful testimonies. They often become bosom buddies. And Mark pointed out last week, we, you know, that you know, if somebody, you know, slept with your wife you know, and, 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 you know, there's reconciliation. You don't have to go camping with, with, with them. You don't have to necessarily become a friend, but it's wonderful to become friends with someone who has been antagonistic before. We were in Switzerland, and Elaine got a teaching post in a very big school, and in her section, in her segment of this big school, there was a lady who everybody feared. It wasn't the principal. She uh, was rather forceful and obnoxious and uh, demanding and everybody was scared of her and everybody just, you know, they, they just went to pieces around her. And uh, we prayed for her. We prayed for her salvation. We prayed for a change in her. Uh, Elaine prayed. And some months down the track, uh, Elaine said to her on one occasion, the staff in front of all the others, sorry, you can't behave like that. And that night we couldn't sleep. We were, whoa, you know, um, how's this thing going to turn out? The next day she was changed. She was changed. Became Elaine's best friend. Um, and we're waiting for the next episode. We're trusting that she will come to Christ. But when I saw them relate to each other later on, I thought, no, no, Elaine, really? She was like that before? Um, prayer changes things. Pray changes things. And we're, we're praying that this lady will come to Christ eventually. Next reason why we should be praying is that it brings reward. It brings reward, praying for our enemies. Let's go back in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, falsely uh, persecute you, falsely saying all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because Great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward in heaven. Wow. Should, should we be praying for a lot of enemies then? <laughs> we'll have a lot, of, a lot of rewards. Well, it depends on how we respond, right? It depends how we respond to God in the situation. That will determine our reward. That will determine how we are rewarded. And in chapter 5 and verse 46 that we've read, it talks about rewards, about how we treat outsiders, how we treat those who persecute us. 
God loves to reward us. Why? Because he delights in us when we are obedient to him. He delights in us when we reflect his character and we reflect his glory. He delights in us when we pray for their salvation. Job prayed for his friends. You remember how Job was afflicted? You remember how his friends helped him in the beginning and they became obnoxious in the end and they started climbing his frame and like, who needs friends like that when they're supposed to be helping him? And then towards the end of his time in God's economy, God said to him, now you pray for your friends. Pray God's blessing upon him. And he did. And in chapter 42 and verse 10, it says that after he had done so, God made him prosper again. In verse 12, it says, the Lord blessed the latter part of, day of Job's life more than the first. He could have said to God, what? Don't you understand? These guys have tormented me in my agony. They've tormented me, God. He could have flatly refused to pray for them. But he complied. He, he prayed for them. And God blessed them. I'm not saying that everybody's going to become rich like, like he did towards the end of his life. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that God will reward us sometimes in this lifetime and some, but definitely in the next. Do you believe that? I believe that with all my heart. I've seen how God blesses us spiritually with his peace and his joy when we do the right thing, when we comply with God, no matter how hard it is. When we do it God's way, he's always blessed. And he will release something amazingly wonderful in our hearts and in our lives. Next session section is about living as sons of our heavenly father. We've touched on it. Imitating our Father, imitating our Father. Verse forty-four B. Pray for those who persecute you, that they may be that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You might be asking, what does the sun and, and rain got to do with the section? It's got everything to do with the section because God is emphasizing. His incredible love towards those who oppose him. He blesses everyone, even those who reject him, even those who reject his love and salvation. That's enormous. There, there are billions of people who do this to God, blaspheme, use his name in vain as a swear word, um, hate God with a passion. Many from other nations who follow other gods, Atheists, agnostics, there's a lot of animosity in, in Europe towards God, towards Jesus. Uh, if you were in that environment, you'd like be totally shocked. It's a growing thing, yet God loves them. And God sends rain and sun and gives them sun as well that keeps them alive. If only they realize that this God that they're doing this to is the one who provides for them the sun and the rain. It's from his hand. It's his sun. It's his rain. We've been in a time of drought, and maybe we're going into a time of drought right now, you know, and it's his rain. It's his sun. We need to be grateful for, as, as Christians, every day. He doesn't withhold 
from Muslim nations. He doesn't withhold from atheistic farmers. Maybe they have a little less rain in Saudi. It's just a joke. In other words, God is good to all people, regardless of how they treat him. And the application here is, so should we. So should we. Because we often think, well, why, why should I be good to this person? They're not, they're not being good to me. Because God has shown us by example. And this makes it very, very clear. And so that's why he goes on to say in verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? It's easy to love those who love us. It's easy to love those who like us or respect us, but not so easy to love those who persecute us, let alone those who don't like us. We naturally gravitate towards people who like us or receive us or accept us, don't we? But we sometimes shy away from people we don't feel comfortable with or we don't feel their acceptance or their love. And that's why there are often cliques in, in the churches and they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. People naturally gravitate towards those they're comfortable with, Kendall says. Kendall says, maintains that research suggests that 90% of human relationships are based on what we think the other person feels about us. If we surmise that they like us, then we immediately like them. Oh, that's a lovely couple, because they liked us is what he's saying. However, when we sense they don't like us, we often become distant and defensive. The challenge for us today is to go beyond friendship groups within our church, at work, in our gym, in our neighborhood, and to reach out to those who are unlovely even. Are you up for that challenge? It's not Pierre's challenge. It's Jesus' challenge to us today. And so this passage is talking about loving everyone, praying for everyone, and greeting everyone. Verse 47, and if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Do, do those who come to SBC find us friendly or snobbish? Hopefully you'll find us very friendly today. We have visitors. We have have to roll up the red carpet for you today. We came back from our mission work in Switzerland and we went to Somerset West, visited the churches when we got there, and we were aghast at the unfriendliness of the churches. We were really gobsmacked. We had to take the initiative in most instances to say hello to people. And often when we said, hi, hi, they went like, almost like, who are you? Don't, don't, don't know you. Are you new here? It, it was actually very tragic, very sad. It was laughable, but it's like nobody went out to us. We found one church that did, and we stayed there. People will gravitate to, to churches that are friendly. Most likely not come back to churches that are not friendly. You know, we can be so in our cell group, Mentality, yes, we do develop friendships in those groups. And it's good to have chinwags here on Sundays over coffee and so on. But we dare not just keep in our little lager. We have to break out. We have to break out. And we have to go up to people and say, I've seen you here. 
you know, for the last 10 years, but I've never spoken to you. My name is whatever. It's a challenge from the Word of God to go out of the way, to reach out to those we don't know. And so we summarize this message. Are we going to live as witnesses for God's love or to God's love? Well, you're determined to do that now. It's, it's going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to get out of your comfort zone. You're going to say, yes, yes, I'll do that. And then uh, oh, we'll make excuses. No, I'm too busy. I can grow in that. I can do more. I really can. I'm, I'm a fairly outgoing person. But I can do far better. The biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. It's an English lesson. Nocha. Free. Gratis. For next. The biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. And today we need to say, God, help me to do it. Help me to be the gracious son of the living God to show your love and your mercy and your forgiveness and your acceptance of all peoples, of all peoples. You know, it doesn't take much to smile. You know, those people that we went around to the churches, not, not even a smile. doesn't cost anything to smile. Right? Just a few muscles are operating here. But smile from your heart. Smile from your heart. Um, and let them experience the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord, your word always challenges us each time we come to it because we realize we're far from perfect. I realize that I'm so far from perfect, Lord. And we need your grace. We need your strength. We thank you, Lord, that we go into the supernatural realm when we forgive those who have hurt us severely. And so we, we want to move into that realm today, Lord. And we want to say we forgive. We let them go. We let them off the hook. Because you've done so much for us. You've been so good to us. You've transformed us in such a marvelous way. And you've forgiven all of our sins. So help us, Lord. Help us to reach out to the unlovely. Help us to reach out to other racial groups. Help us to connect with them when we're walking in the street, Lord. Help us to, to greet them. Just thank you for the friendliness of the city, Lord. And, and we pray that this church will become known as the friendliest church in the city because of the love of God that is compelling us in Christ Jesus. We pray for those who persecuted us, and even as we prayed for a group this morning where there's been animosity and, and heartache in, in the workplace. If there's anything of that nature here, we pray your grace for those people, Lord. We know that often that's the, the most difficult place to be a Christian witness. So help us to then put our house in order so that we can know the grace of God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior, we'd love to introduce you. And you can also operate in this way and bring glory to God. Amen. Lord bless you. Go well. Have a good day.